Welcome back to the Courtside Podcast, and we finally have the winner out of the Eastern Conference, the number eight Miami Heat, figuring out a way to go through the Eastern Conference Finals, even though they almost didn't even make the playoffs this year uh, out of the play-in. However, they beat the Boston Celtics late today. Actually, I'm decided to do this podcast. No replays or anything like that I'm watching. I think it's going straight off the dome here. But the Miami Heat able to get over the Boston Celtics and avoid an historic 3-0 uh, comeback, really, which I think a lot of people were expecting. Uh, however, that and more to come up on this podcast. This episode of the Courtside Podcast is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. If you're ever in the mood to kind of just sit down, have a really relaxing dinner, whatnot, you know, a little, uh, you know, Cuba Libre, maybe if you're old enough and just relax, well, watch some YouTube, specifically Highway Temptation. They got a new video out with their friends with a Jaxbox gameplay. It's really hilarious stuff. I was laughing the entire way through the 13 minutes. And then as well, Captain Barbo, he has a lot of things going on. If you're a Dark Souls fan, God of Wars fan, let him, how about this Elden Ring? He has an Elden Ring video that's close, I think above 3,000 views and growing. So it's another channel that keep your eyes on. So don't forget to find those channels on YouTube. And of course, if you haven't just yet, subscribe to this podcast. Before I even go into um, the Game 7 itself, I just want people to understand how insane this Heat run is. The Miami Heat this season, 30th in points, 27th in rebounds, 25th in assists, 25th in offensive rating, and 21st in net rating. Now, that team made it to the NBA Finals after they beat out the Boston Celtics through seven games with a Game 7 victory in TD Garden, 103-84, and... This game itself, it wasn't, again, from the box scores itself, I think I'm going to go into the box scores straight up right now. Jimmy Butler had 28 points. He led the way uh, as well with Caleb Martin, who had a game himself, who actually started in this game and a double-double. Uh, Bam and Abaya wasn't really much there with 12 and 10. However, besides that fact, this wasn't an offensive game. And honestly, I don't really think that the Heat really had a lot of offensive wins. Uh, besides, of course, game three, when it went off to have 28 points, 128 points, but... From this game itself, it was more a defensive masterclass for the Miami Heat and also a little bit of a mixture of the Boston Celtics struggling from three in a game where, you know, this is a series. If you win the three-point range battle, you're going to win these games. And the Boston Celtics just did not shine at all in that category. When we look overall from three-point, let's look at the percentage of the Boston Celtics. 21.4% compared to that of the Miami Heat's 50% from three. You know, you're just not going to be able to win games like that. But for the Celtics themselves, wasn't really the best game shooting overall. However, give credit to the Miami Heat. They ended up changing their game plan, which I actually, I like this move that they did. They brought in Highsmith, which for some reason, Highsmith, who had a pretty good game five. Haywood Highsmith did not get a single minute in game six, which of course the Celtics did win that one by a point. But Highsmith, who to me personally was the biggest defensive prowess against Jason Tatum throughout this game. However, we're going to go into the game as well. Reasons why JT probably did struggle. Uh, however, Highsmith, who averaged 4.4 points a game, uh, had like 9, 21 minutes, 2 points, 50% from the floor. Not the crazy scoring game, but defensively, his presence was out there. I mean, from his efficiency, plus 3. Uh, and then, if you look at efficiency as well from the bench, it was probably one of the most better bench games for the Miami Heat. Kyle Lowry out there. Seven points, Duncan Robinson, 10 points. However, the entire bench, there wasn't a guy that was below in efficiency in the sense of their gameplay. Uh, but let's just go into the game before we go talk about the rest of the stats. 
And as I mentioned before, I mean, I'm not going to be doing this podcast, watching the replay of it. But from what I saw in the first part of this game, the Boston Celtics had an early 11-4 lead because their defense was, you know, it stepped up right there, right? They weren't really given much, boxing out everything on Bam and Abayo. Bam and Abayo, who didn't have much of a game, let alone much of a series, only had 12 points in this one off of 4-10 shooting, so shot 40% from the floor. But the Celtics defensively were straight up in the Heat's face. And again, they held the Heat to 103 points, which in today's NBA standards, that's pretty damn impressive. But the three-point shooting was off. In the Miami Heat zone, it went back to a 2-3, maybe even switched mid-game 3-2 zone, where you have guys that are just, you know, clogging inside, where you have Tatum kind of dishing into Al Horford at the top of the charity stripe, then he tries to find guys in the corner, and there's no open threes for the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics started this game 0 of 11 from three-point range. And let alone, I think their first three came in what, the second quarter? So this Boston Celtics team kept going to behind the arc for answers. And those answers, similar to what we saw in games one through three, they weren't coming. They weren't coming. They didn't try to replicate game five or six where they decided to go inside, play a little bit more smarter basketball. This was a Celtics team that the offense was not stepping up. And one of the reasons why I would probably have to say, because from the after interviews, you know, the post game, Jason Tatum and as well as a lot of the Celtics were saying that after Tatum rolled his ankle, which came after, I believe, Gabe Vincent was on him when Tatum went to drive in. In the first 20 seconds of the game, the first possession of the game for the Celtics on offense, Tatum landed on the ankle of Gabe Vincent, who was on the floor, and he ends up rolling it. And of course, he's limping throughout the entire you know, first quarter. You can definitely tell something's up. Something is not right with him. So, and speaking of Tatum, finished 14 points, 11 rebounds, shot 38 and a half from the floor, and one of four from three. So from that point on, I mean, the Celtics, they didn't have their main guy in scoring. They looked at Jalen Brown, and Jalen Brown did not have the best game either. Unless, of course, you talk about the mid-range. He did lead the team in overall scoring with 19 points, had eight rebounds, five assists, and even two steals, my apologies, one steal and two blocks, but 34.8% from the floor. He was really just forcing shots halfway through this game. And for good reason, of course, when there's nothing else going on, that's the only thing you can really do in an offense. Uh, but Jalen Brown had a pretty poor game. And after the game, uh, and I, of course, I'll be going into this at the end of this quick topic discussion about the game itself. But Jalen Brown, who potentially could be leaving the Celtics this offseason or having one of a extension that's above $250 million. I mean, Jalen Brown said himself, you know, we failed I failed. Everyone expected a lot of us from the city of Boston in the sense of referencing. Um, But when he was asked about his future, again, this is going to be a season, an offseason, my apologies, an offseason for the Celtics, where there's going to be a lot of questions affecting his future. And that future also does revolve around Jason Tatum and his time with the Celtics as his contract will be up after the 2024 season. And Tatum after the game itself. And again, as I mentioned before, I wasn't really going to talk about the offseason plans for the Celtics until after I talk about the game, but just to leave it at this before going to any further, Jason Tatum did say that it would be the most important, if not the highest priority for the Boston Celtics to re-sign Jalen Brown as he is one of the top 15 players in the NBA today. So Tatum wants him back. Jalen Brown, you know, we don't really know exactly what he's going to be doing just yet. 
But if he is going to be leaving the Celtic team, it's a little bit more foolish. I mean, I can't imagine him going to a place like Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like, how many Eastern Conference Finals have the Celtics been to? Let alone been on the, the brink of making the Finals, if not winning it. Uh, but either way, back to the game itself. So the second quarter comes in. The Celtics are down by a few points. And then it kind of blows up. The Miami Heat in transition offense. Jimmy Butler got hot from three. Caleb Martin, as I mentioned before, his stat line. Caleb Martin had himself a game. An absolute game. And a weird part about it, as I mentioned before, to start off this little bit of a segment, the Miami Heat 30th in scoring. Caleb Martin, who had averaged 9 points in the regular season, had averaged 19 points in the Eastern Conference Finals through 7 games. If you ask me personally, the weird thing about this Miami Heat run that they've been able to go through the Eastern Conference and now to the NBA Finals, a huge part of it has been through Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, and of course the mixture of that Max Drews and Duncan Robinson. But Caleb Martin attacking guys, he's been more aggressive throughout these playoffs. And the coolest thing about it, he's been more, not of a role player, but a top three player for this Miami Heat roster. I honestly do believe, and I really do believe with all my heart, whenever I watch this guy on the court, he's like the most funnest guy to watch on the court. And then saying myself as a Celtic fan, personally, I am a Celtic fan, even though I do a lot of these podcasts unbiased. But I have to say, Caleb Martin, if there's any takeaways I take from this series, it was a Caleb Martin series. Absolutely. He played better than Bam Adebayo throughout this one. There's a lot of games where he was playing better than Jimmy Butler in some cases, right? But at the end of the day, Caleb Martin himself, he went off in this game seven from three, and a lot of guys follow suit. As mentioned before, the Miami Heat shot 50% from behind the arc, but let's look at the guys individually. Caleb Martin himself, who mentioned 26 points. The man shot six shots from behind the arc, made four of them. He had 66.7% from three-point. And overall in the game, this is how crazy it gets. 11-16 and 16 from the floor. He shot 68, close to a 70% clip from the floor. Insane stuff from Caleb Martin. Uh, then you also look at Max Struess. Didn't have the best game, two and six. He's kind of those flip-flop type of players. Uh, but Gabe Vincent, pretty pretty decent, though. Didn't take a lot of shots. He's more working inside. If not, doing a little bit of mid-range off of the screen from Bam and Obi on top of the key. But Gabe Vincent, two or three from three. And then you look at Duncan Robinson, two and three himself. But at the end of the day, they weren't really missing these shots. They weren't missing these shots. The Miami Heat, offensively overall, when you look at their field goal percentage, 48.8. That's close to 50%. There's not, there's not a lot of teams, especially in a game seven, on the road that can do that. So you got to give credit when it's due there. But from that second quarter on, I mean, the game, I mean, it looked to be just about done. There was nothing that the Celtics can do to make a comeback because Miami kept on answering back. There was even a point where the Miami Heat led by 17, even more points, I believe, going down into the stretch of the second half. And when you look at just just the, just the quarters itself, 22 and 15, the 15 points that they're right there for the Boston Celtics, that's the lowest scoring quarter the Celtics have ever had this postseason. And funny enough, Game 7 Eastern Conference Finals, not the best time to open up a Game 7 at home. 30-26 in the second quarter going to the Miami Heat. That one's a little bit more feisty. This is where the Celtics were more alive. And then you also look at the third quarter. More live Celtics this is actually at 25-24 going the Celtics way. But then the fourth quarter comes and the Heat are just blowing out. Caleb Martin just blowing it out in the fourth quarter. And the Celtics try to find answers here and there. Didn't get anything. 27 points for the Heat. 
18 for the Celtics in the fourth quarter, the last 12 minutes of the Eastern Conference playoffs, and for the Heat to win it 103-84. to Now, as I mentioned before, not the best offensive team in Miami, but defensively, they have what? I think more than five games this postseason where they held teams below 100 points. You know how many times, like the, like even Charlotte, right? The worst team in the NBA. I don't think they have a single game, if not maybe like more than three games scoring below 100 points. In today's NBA, that's ridiculous. Especially with the pace where you have guys and teams shooting at least an average of 35 threes or more in a sense of attempts. That's insane to think about. So for the Miami Heat, congratulations to Miami for being able to, you know, not listen to anybody, be able to get past 3%, be able to get past the play-in tournament, be able to get past two of the top teams in the NBA this year, being that the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round and the Boston Celtics in this Eastern Conference Finals to make it to the championship. And of course, with a low run with Denver, who apparently... Uh, during the regular season, the Miami Heat have yet to get a win against them this year. However, of course, we don't really know exactly what's going to happen in the finals because this Heat team, they've been proving people wrong all year. But before I go into that, I do want to talk a little bit more about the potential offseason moves for the Boston Celtics. For the Celtics themselves, for those who do not follow this team for the past decade, this is a team that's only been to the finals once since 2010 in a time that they've been to the eastern conference finals i mean in the last four years they've been like three times in my regulation and out of all those three times it's either been the miami heat going to run in with them or you go against lebron james or whatnot in the years prior but let's just look this is a little bit back at it this season Lost since Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat. A series that no one really expected the Celtics to even get close to after the first three games. Let alone a, a series that I don't think anybody expected to even go this way. In my honest opinion. An eight seed against number 2 seed Celtics. Who were favored to start off the year to win the entire thing. Then you go into last year. A series that was also a straight 7 games between the Celtics and the Miami Heat. And that was a series where you have a bunch of blowout victories for both sides. And then Game 7 is like a free-for-all. Um, but the Celtics were able to go over the hump there, and then they unfortunately go on to lose to the Golden State Warriors in six games. And funny enough, in a in a direction where they were leading 2-1 after Game 3, but for the first time that all the entire season, through the entire postseason, they didn't lose three straight games. They lost three straight games in the NBA Finals to come runner-up. And then the year prior of that, being that of 2021, they got knocked out in the first round due to injuries, and of course, the Brooklyn Nets, who had probably their prime guys, in a sense of that rotation of Harden, as well with KD and Kyrie Irving. And speaking of Kyrie Irving, 2019, didn't even get close to the Eastern Conference Finals. Got out in the first round against the Milwaukee Bucks with Kyrie. And then the 2018, you know, we all know what happened. LeBron James, Cavaliers, 2018 run, Game 7 in TD Garden, JT rookie year. Uh, unable to get the job done with Terry Rozier, missing a majority of the shots on that night. But but the point is, I'm trying to make, though, this is a Boston Celtic team that has seen more Eastern Conference Finals than any other team in the East. And for some reason, they've only been able to make it to one Finals appearance. And for some reason, they have yet to even become a dominant franchise in the sense of 
title chasing, right? This is the Boston area. This is being town. The Boston Celtics, 17 championships, looking for banner 18. They have been yet to go over the hump. And you've seen championship teams where, like, for example, the Toronto Raptors, they make one move, and that one move is enough to get the job done. For the Miami Heat, they've been able to get on this run where you have these, again, about seven to nine guys on that roster, undrafted free agents, and there's just this winning culture in Miami that for a guy like myself that grew up in Miami, I'm very grateful to be a part of in a sense of watching it unfold in real time. But for the Boston Celtics, it's hard to make sense of how does this team not be able to win a championship in the past decade? They've been making all the right moves. And in general, the next right move might be you know the one that puts them over the top. But it can all change easily this offseason. The Boston Celtics, as I mentioned before, with Jalen Brown, potentially Jalen could easily leave. Now, the Celtics, they can give him that over $200 million deal, put down that you know four-year, five-year possibly extension. But at the same time, they would also need to make room for Jason Tatum the following year to try to re-sign him for extension as well. I mean, in other words, in order to keep Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum together, you're spending more than half a billion dollars for two guys in your franchise. And again, these are two guys they drafted, lottery draft picks, guys who obviously deserve the money. But how can you keep them with this roster? Marcus Smart, I don't really know exactly his contract details, but that guy is definitely somebody that other teams are keeping an eye on. Defensive player of the year last year. Basically, on Mano's opinion, he's bound to make an all-star appearance at least once in his career. And he's a huge player, and especially in a contender, a huge player you want for a contender. Uh, then you also look at Derek White. Derek White, who's been kind of developing more and more season by season after leaving the Spurs and joining the Celtics team. He's been a part of two deep runs in the playoffs. One, of course, taken to the finals, and the other one ending today in Game 7 in Boston. Then you look at Al Horford as well. How long does Al Horford last? I mean, does he have two more years in him? And alone, are they going to be all with the Celtics? Are they going to be actually fruitful years? Or he's actually going to be making threes and, you know, again, being a starter for this team in the Eastern Conference Finals and potentially the Finals. And, of course, when you look at other players who are going to be on this team guaranteed for the next uh, one or two years, Robert Williams the third, Grant Williams could potentially leave and most likely is the most like Celtic to leave this roster from Brad Stevens' eyes. But this is a Celtic team that needs more firepower. They might need an extra push just to help them out offensive consistency. Like Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man of the year, he was pretty good throughout the regular season. But you look at him in this series, there were games Malcolm Brogdon didn't even make a single basket from the free throw line or from the floor. So you have to ask yourself, I mean, what do the Celtics do? Because money doesn't just grow on trees like nonstop. What they try to do like previously in last year's offseason, they try to get Bradley Beal. And Bradley Beal, I mean, he did the smart financial thing to go to the Wizards for over $200 million, five years. But they're looking to get that extra guy, and it looks like to be a guard for some reason. I guess you move Tatum to the four, possibly to the three if you want to keep him like that. But, man, if you ask me personally, the biggest thing for the Celtics is to keep Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Every single year, these guys have been getting better. Of course, deeper the runs they go, the better experience they get. And if you get an extension for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum past year 30 for them, like a 30-year-old Jason Tatum, 30-year-old Jalen Brown, you're going past their prime. But at the same time, you get them in their prime. 
if that makes sense. There's a lot of teams that give up on players, and especially players that are like asking for a lot of money, you know, too young to really tell, and they don't really make that signing, and they end up going somewhere else, and it's just exposing the other franchise, saying that they made the mistake. And I think one of the funniest things about it, like the other side of this, the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler story, from Chicago Bulls, Minnesota, then you'll also go with Philadelphia. Every single team he's been on is regretting giving up on him. And for good reason, obviously. The man has been to two finals in the past four years. If you ask me, if I'm the Boston Celtics and Brad Stevens, I will pay the piper his due and I will give JB the actual money that he deserves. And again, does Jalen Brown want to leave the Celtics? From what I've seen afterwards in the press conferences, he was silent, but also a sign where it was emotional silence. I mean, he wants to, I feel like he wants to stay. And if he doesn't want to stay, I mean, where is he going to go? He's not going to be able to go into another team and contend. I mean, especially not the way the Celtics have been contending in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's almost like, an, like it's basically a regular appearance for them at this point. And from my understanding of it, the only two other teams I can actually think that he would want to join, let alone has the chance to join uh, this offseason besides the Boston Celtics, being that of the Atlanta Hawks and being a native of Georgia, Atlanta, right, that area. A lot of Hawks fans have been saying on NBA Twitter that he is bound to go join Atlanta, which, again, it is possible. I mean, the Atlanta Hawks with Trey Young, Collins, as well, of course, with Capella and DeJounte Murray. And this is actually a team that is kind of in turmoil with Trey Young. Do they want to keep him for long run? So Jalen Brown and DeJounte Murray, they could easily become the next duo for Atlanta. Uh, however, of course, with JB, he'll have to decide of joining in a team that barely made it into the playoffs. And of course, a team that hasn't really shown that they can really elevate themselves. Um, so he'll have to decide on that. And of course, the other team, and I hate to say it, it's almost like a walk-in time clock. But the New York Knicks are always in trade conversations and free agency. Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett. Julius Randle, you know, Mitchell Robinson. I mean, that, that's they're just missing one more piece, and that could be Jalen Brown. It could easily be Jalen Brown, a small forward. And if you want to put RJ putting at the three, that's a good roster. I have to say, honestly, that's a roster I would say would be a contender. Simply as that. A contender with that, and you have your bench with Quinton Grimes and Obi Toppin. And maybe for the Knicks, they do find something during this offseason as well with Jalen Brown if they do want to make that move. But Jalen Brown, besides the Celtics, I think the Knicks are probably the better, like the best option. I want to say the better option because, again, Celtics have been making the Eastern Conference Finals like nothing in the past few years. But for the Knicks themselves, in this trajectory, they're going up with Tom Thibodeau. This is a team that easily, if Jalen Brown joins this team, the New York Knicks could be an issue. Uh, but again, as I mentioned before, Jalen Brown didn't really give a lot of to the media to work with. Um, but basically this offseason is going to be the Jalen Brown sweepstakes. And the Celtics are going to be front runners, obviously. Um, but again, this is going to be a huge offseason for the Celtics. Do they keep try to keep Jalen Brown? I think they should, um, in my honest opinion. But the coaching situation is very interesting. Because I, I was thinking about it a little bit after the game. Because Ime Adoka, we all really know what happened with Ime, the reason why he left, and now he's with Houston. And a lot of the reports are saying that the Celtics never really got over that. And again, for obvious reasons. The guy took it to an NBA Finals his first year as head coach, and then all this stuff happens within a matter of 
just weeks really after the NBA Finals, and he's gone. Now with Joe Mazzulla. They had a 57-win season in the regular season, and then they took him all the way to Game 7 Eastern Conference Finals, and this was, again, a series where the Celtics were down 3-0. Nearly made the comeback. Almost completed it. Was bound to complete it until they really uh, shot up goose eggs from three. But for Joe Mazzulla, the people, especially on NBA Twitter that I'm seeing right now in the Celtics circle, they want Joe out. And in, especially, it's, it's really weird, especially in today's NBA right now for this offseason, because you got a situation where you have some S-tier coaches right now, Monty Williams, Doc Rivers, you know, guys with winning records throughout their careers um, that are available. But at the same time, do you really want to put this Celtic team, which is trying to keep this core together, that's been through, you know, long, extensive postseason play, finals, Eastern Conference finals, do you really want to put this team with two guys that are potentially in their prime through a third head coach in three years? Do you really want to see a repeat of culture building, of development under a new coach, a new system? Do you really want to see that if you're a Celtic fan, let alone if you're Brad Stevens in the Boston Celtics? I don't, I don't think so. I think the smartest thing to do here is to keep Joe. I mean, Joe Mazzulla, obviously, there's a lot of situations where, you know, his timeout calls are a little bit questionable. His build around this Celtic team defensively and their identity has been kind of lost throughout this entire season. And, of course, we it's been shown in this Eastern Conference Finals. But if you ask me personally, there's a reason why they were down 3-0 and came back to at least tie it 3-3. There's a reason why this Celtic team was a top team defensively during the regular season and offensively improved compared to their numbers last season. But at the end of the day, it comes down to do you want consistency with your ball club? And how does that work out? The first thing, in my opinion, it works with the coach. Or it works with the coaching staff. The Boston Celtics not only lost Ime, but they also lost an assistant head coach, one of their top guys off the bench from the Utah Jazz, who's now coaching over there as the head coach. And then, of course, as mentioned before, Joe Mazzula, who took over the role for Ime. He was on the bench, now taking over the head coaching position. And I think he was like second on the bench, like second row. So he wasn't even the next guy up, I don't even think. But still, a good fit guy. So if you ask me personally, from the sense of where I feel this team needs to be for the Boston Celtics, and of course, what they really want out of this team, they need Joe Mazzulla to push them. Because Joe Mazzulla went on this run. They, he knows this guy's for the past few years. If you get a new guy like Monty Williams, who I think personally is probably the best coach right now out there in the market, unless you want to see Mike D'Antoni go into prime Mike D'Antoni with the Phoenix Suns and just go out of retirement and just go full blazing, Joe Mazzulla is the best option you got. And the Celtics are not in the rebuild mode, at least not yet. I think they got at least three more seasons if they're unable to bring in a championship back to Beantown then you can probably struggle a little bit and say, okay, we got JT and Brown here, and we can't really get anything else. That's when you can start struggling and asking questions. However, the next two to three seasons are going to be go time for the Boston Celtics. They've been to the finals. They're a game shy of it this season. What happens next? What happens after? That's questions. And, of course, for this offseason for the Celtics, they're going to go on. And for the Heat, this is going to be an interesting NBA Finals Honestly, my heart as a basketball fan, this is an NBA Finals that, not saying I didn't want to see, but Heat versus Denver. Jokic, triple doubles almost every single game throughout this entire playoffs. Going against the Heat team without Tyler Hero, who apparently 
it could come back to Game 3. I know in shoot-arounds uh, before Game 7 tonight, he was out there active. But again, not on-court 5-on-5 five five play, not one-on-one type of stuff. So Tyler Hero could come back for Game 3, which will be you know the first game in Miami for the NBA Finals. So potentially this is going to be a Miami Heat team that could come in shorthanded as they've been throughout this entire postseason. Where honestly, I feel like they average like an injury almost per game to start these playoffs. But, I mean, again, this is a Heat team that I just can't put my finger on. How are they getting the job done? And you can say about culture, consistency. I mean, this is basically a team that's built like a college program in some sense. But at the same time, a lot of it's like just high screens, hand off the ball for a three. And then you also have situations where you got guys just taking people one-on-one, like Jimmy Butler does, where he does that little fadeaway off the mid-range Um and of course, the ball, the off-ball movement. I think for the Miami Heat, it's something that is not really spoken a lot about because when you look at the situations where you got guys going baseline to baseline through screens, I mean, similar to what the Golden State Warriors were a few years back, there's no way you can stop guys chasing around like that. I mean, you're going to be out of breath by the second quarter, and the Miami Heat's been able to get guys wide open off-ball through these screens. Either will that be, of course, on baseline or setting double screens and kind of doing that elevator door type of maneuver that Eric Spolstra draws up. But the Miami Heat themselves, they're more of a stronger team off-ball than with-ball in isolation plays. And that's what I believe, at least, from what I've seen from the games. But for the Miami Heat themselves, it's a very spontaneous offense. The defense, of course, we all know that high 2-3 zone is very much of a statement for the Miami Heat throughout this entire year. And sometimes they've been able to switch up to a 3-2 and, you know, sometimes... Even feels like a 4-1, the way they've been able to guard the perimeter. But against this Denver squad in the NBA Finals that they have themselves going against, this is a team that moves the ball quick. And Jokic, if Bam and Abai was struggling against the Boston Celtics, this is going to be a tough series for Bam and Abai going against Nikola Jokic, a two-time MVP, a guy that probably was right there next to the MVP uh, in Joel Embiid this season. It, it, that, that, that's the only way I can think about because Caleb Martin, he's going to be able to get his games. Jimmy Butler, you know, he's going to be a little bit off and on and this and that. And, of course, Gabe Vincent, he might have, you know, a Damian Lillard game like he had in Game 3. But Bam and Obayo, the last four games to end off this season, my apologies, to end off this series against the Boston Celtics, he didn't show much. And, again, credit to the Celtics for not really giving any attempts, let alone just kind of clogging out the lane from the post up on one-on-one. But if the Boston Celtics are going to be an issue, imagine Jokic at top of the perimeter taking Bam inside. Imagine Jokic going baseline to baseline, court to court, by himself taking down the ball. Bam's going to have to play defensively on the perimeter. Bam's going to have to figure out a way to get the job done on the post, try to tip away passes. And for those Heat fans who are talking about, oh, Bam Adebayo won Defensive Player of the Year, this and that, he didn't guard anything. This is his challenge. If Bam Adebayo can lock down Jokic in this series, he should win Defensive Player, not even that, Finals MVP. If the Heat are able to win out these finals and Bam is able to defend against Jokic, similar to what we've seen with Andre Iguodala against LeBron, if it's a defensive masterclass, he's going to get his flowers. But the side for the Denver Nuggets, the only thing that probably could stop them is just the situation that they found themselves in. First ever NBA Finals appearance in their franchise's history. And, you know, new breaking ground, it just might scare them a little bit. 
I don't know if there's like a crazy identity crisis. I don't really think so. I mean, they went through four games against the Lakers and all that media stuff. So maybe they really don't care. That's the only thing I can really imagine that stops this Denver team and maybe inconsistency uh, late from three. But besides that, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. has been phenomenal. Bruce Brown's been phenomenal. Jeff Green's been phenomenal whenever he's on the floor. Aaron Gordon, I mean, I had some questions about him, but he's been pretty decent. Jokic, historic postseason. Jamal Murray, insane postseason scoring. I mean, I think he got, like, what, 30-plus points average through the Western Conference Finals? So this is going to be a Denver team that, in my honest opinion, should win it through five games. But with the Miami Heat, as I mentioned before, you just don't know what they have. They always have a crazy game from someone, and in the middle of it, they got a little bit of momentum, a little heat culture, as they call it. And before I end off this podcast, uh, there is one thing I want to say, uh, and this is just me as a South Floridian, because for me personally, even though, yes, I do, you know, a lot of these things I write, whenever I write podcasts, I'm always unbiased. However, I am a Celtic fan. I've been a Celtic fan since I was little. But for the Miami Heat and for those Heat fans, I'm pretty sure banging their pots and pans at Hialeah and 49th Street or going to Bird Road or whatever. I just want them to know that, man, again, as a kid that always grew up loving basketball, the competitiveness, we are so grateful being in South Florida and just in general, the state of Florida. For the Miami Heat themselves to be on this run throughout the 21st century where you have multiple finals appearances, multiple championships, and Hall of Fame players to really grace the floor. I mean, I've been really spoiled and, again, you know, oh, glory to God to even have these opportunities. Let alone even talk basketball today, right? Especially on this podcast. Um, but for me personally, I'm still going to be a Celtic fan. Uh, of course, all the work that I do will be unbiased based on that. But the inner South Florida kid in me, I really do feel proud that this Miami Heat team has shown the city of Miami what it is to be from Miami. And of course, to be able to see that in my hometown is pretty incredible. Even though they kind of broke my hearts tonight with the Miami Heat beating out the Boston Celtics in Game 7 in dominant fashion. And honestly, I think in this series, the Celtics really lost this series more than the Heat won this series in some of the games. It is something to see and to witness, really, that this Heat team, with Pat Riley, who apparently he has been, Pat Riley has been involved in at least 24 to 25% of all NBA Finals. It's pretty incredible to see this type of success. And just in general, this 21st century when a Heat team like this shouldn't even be here. But those are just underdog stories and more narratives for the NBA Finals. They'll be starting June 1st, the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat in Denver. And this will actually be the first ever Finals game in Denver. Of course, I'll be watching this as a basketball fan and of course, giving you the statistics and hopefully get a podcast every single game at least the end of the game i usually do like you know the reruns then afterwards i have to go work school so i kind of get lost but i'll make sure to be more active during the finals and we'll see you guys on the next pod